Hello and welcome to another Guildhall podcast. Uh, we're here today to talk about our first drama production of this autumn term, which is Philip Ridley's Mercury Fur. It's directed by John Hyder and designed by Frankie Bradshaw, with lighting design from Liam Strong and sound design from Daniel Barnicott, who are both on our BA Technical Theatre Arts programme. And I'm really pleased to be joined by the director, John Hyder, and our cast members, Mira Mack and Joseph Potter today. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank Hello. you for having Thank you. us. For people who may not know Mercury Fur, can you t- tell us a little bit about what the, what the play is all about? Yeah, so it's about two brothers... It's actually a play of two sets of brothers, which I think is really important. And the two brothers we meet first, Elliot and Darren, we meet as they enter this flat in uh, a council estate, on a council estate in dystopian London, in the east end of London, in a time that's projected into the future, but that isn't ever specified. And we meet them after this catastrophic event has ripped apart society. And yet the two of them are still together. And the play follows them throughout this incredible evening that is spent organising this party. Um, And they are party planners, that's their role. But the parties that they plan are about essentially fulfilling the wildest fantasies of people who are prepared to pay for them. Mm. And so that's the essential premise. And then the stage becomes littered with this brilliant cacophony of incredibly eccentric (laughs) characters um, who are all related to them in some way, um, directly or indirectly. And, I mean, fundamentally what it's about is a series of events that should be impeccably stage-managed, spiralling out of control. So it's a play that was written by Philip Ridley and premiered in 2005. It premiered in Plymouth and then it transferred to London with a cast that included Ben Whishaw and was directed by John Tiffany. And I first came across it over a year ago now. Um, I actually came across it the week of the Grenfell Tower fire um, and was really profoundly moved by it because it felt like it was this really insightful comment on the state of where we're at and where we could be and a kind of a a really um, fractured class divide and a sense that we were just losing touch as a society with various kind of parts of ourselves and of our communities and I read it and was just really terrified by the notion of what it proposed and that it was this real indictment of the times we were living in now and it made me really want to do it and it made me want to do it here because there was a real opportunity to work with people who are the same age as the characters themselves identify Mm. as largely Um, and that was really really appealing and and just to get to work with the kind of actors who really want to take on this text and embrace it because it's just such a kind of poetic labyrinth that you enter into and it's incredibly violent but I think fundamentally for me it's a play about love and that's why Mm. I was really keen to to bring it here and and propose a a new kind of play for this year at Guildhall I suppose. Mm. And that kind of brings brings you guys in the cast in can you tell us a bit Mm. about your your characters and and how you fit into the whole thing? Yeah I'm playing Naz who is I suppose a next door neighbour she's um she lives in this tower block as well and she sort of sneaks her way into the group sort of she does, she's not part of the initial gang so to speak but she um tries to become part of this family that are in front of her and she meets the first character that Naz interacts with is Darren hello is Joe <laughs> um yeah <Seamless> intro. <laughs> and they they have they have quite a few similarities and they sort of sort of spark off each other I think and yeah she's very curious and likes shiny things and yeah I'm enjoying playing her a lot yeah (laughs) 
Uh, I'm playing Darren. Uh, he is uh, the younger brother of Elliot, who uh, those two are brothers, and they uh, they are essentially in this post-apocalyptic world whereby they're trying to get by. They are organisers of these uh, fantasy parties for the rich and essentially probably famous as well, actually. Um, and what we do is we scavenge and we get we do what we do to get by, essentially. John mentioned how he first came in contact with, with the play and his, his first exposure to it. When, when was it for you guys? Was it knowing you were going to do it this year at um, Guildhall? Was I'd actually read, I'd, I'd read the play. So one of my cast members, Harvey, had read the play. It was when we were in the first year of Guildhall. And he, he read the play and he'd, he'd been reading it for a week and he'd finished it. And because it has, it's such a momentous play, it moves it's so fast, the pace of it is crazy. Mm. So he was reading it one lunchtime and he wanted to finish it and he was so determined to finish it and he finished it. And he came in and he was like, I feel a bit, I feel a bit sick. He was, it, like, there was like an, a really like innate feeling inside him that he was like really disturbed, but more importantly moved. And so I, I was like, oh my God, I, I need to read this play. And I, I sat down and, and on the... Uh, on Lakeside mm. one one weekend and, and just read the whole thing. This was probably like two years ago. And um, yeah, it's a really important play because every time I've read it, it manufactures a different feeling inside me. Mm-hmm. And like John said, like in terms of Grenfell, like reading it before and after that, like really struck a chord. The way in which there's a cause of what behind the the torture and, and and everything that happens and how all our characters are essentially these um these chess pieces essentially in this larger discombobulated world and how we can manipulate and move in order to just survive and yeah it's 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 not about the the violence that happens it's 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 about these more important chess pieces these people that like learn how to combat and move through it and how about you Marin? I'd also heard the sick lunchtime story <laughs> but um, I I the first time I read it was when I f- found out that we were going to be doing it and we mm-hmm. had been cast um and I read it on a plane actually which was quite I, it was just a funny setting but um you can read this play so many times and it's just because it's about survival and it's just I feel like it can be you can never stop exploring it mm. it's about the key principles as humans, what we want and what we strive for. And I think it's a very it's very special, I'd say, because it's just although there are massive sort of they're very violent aspects and stuff, as John said, it is essentially about love and a need for each other and memories and sharing. And it's just every time I've read it, I don't know how many times I've read it now, but <laughs> I've <laughs> each time I'm like, oh, um, understand that a little bit better mm. or, or oh I didn't see that before last time it's like one of those paintings that you keep seeing new faces and and uh, how, how have you guys approached your characters have you done any particular research or is there a, a way that John's asked you guys to, to approach mm. how you how you tackle the characters yeah that was when because when we found out we were in it I was like how do I even begin to get into this world mm. and John gave us a task where he was like two images Uh, that kind of like epitomise like what you think the play is or like don't think about it too much just get these images and uh, I have a Pinterest account and I just like go through and like just bing 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 on all these on all these Pinterest images I had a Grenfell image and then I had an image from Boomtown Festival and I just I just get all these images together and just kind of yeah just essentially look at them and just and just see see what they 
churned up. Mm. And then also, uh, I'd read I'd read a few of uh, Philip Ridley's things before, so I reread uh, Pitchfork Disney. And then when we began the rehearsal process, John gave us um, the, an introduction to one of his other plays. And then I'd, I'd read a, a bit of his poetry as well. And it's just about, it's as much about learning the way in which he works as it is getting into the world, I think. Mm -hmm. As you read his work, it's it's not repetitive as such, but there's just such a there's such a through line of 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 themes and things, like in terms of like the untitled brothers trilogy that he has. And there's all these innate things that come up in all his plays that I was just trying to absorb myself in and understand mm. that what he wants to what he wants the actor to understand in order for the audience to understand. Mm. And so I just try and keep dipping myself in all these mm. like different pools of his work to try and be like, this is what Phil wants me to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll try and do that. It's it's like gold dust when you read something and something else he's written. For instance, the one that's in my head right now is in the last piece that you gave us to read, there was a a bit about a boy sipping coke and then sharing it with someone yeah. else. It's like their, their spit sort of, it just, it's so, such a feature in my head. I've got this image and it just, it's so lovely to when, if coke is mentioned in this play. And it is. And it mm. is. Hang, wink, wink. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's, I, it's amazing to have that, that exact, the image so clear from mm. something else that he's written. So it's, yeah, that's really tangible. Mm. Um, I think also, without giving away too many spoilers or anything, there's a there's some characters suffer with memory loss, and so I've been sort of looking into how that happens, sort of naturally through um, dementia or Alzheimer's, mm. etc., amnesia, and also addiction. But I think something that I really enjoyed, and this was a task that we did at the very first week, was we did hot seating, which is when we were given a list of um, different, really quite bizarre questions, quite good questions. And we each got up and were sort of interviewed and had mm. to react as our character. And that was just, that was such an amazing opportunity to just to just have a massive world to bring on with you. Mm. And in the second, so say I hadn't decided what my favourite dinner was I hadn't figured that out about my character what comes out your mouth because you're in character already is just is what it is and you don't have to think and contemplate oh does she like fish and chips or does she like a sausage supper and chips you just go <laughs> sausage supper in the moment and it's perfect yeah and John it sounds like for, for you this play's been or doing a production of this play has been knocking around your, your mind for a, a while. Yeah. How did you approach it when you, you knew you were going to do it here at Guildhall? Well, I think it kind of sits in an interesting place in contemporary playwriting because it's so indebted to the works of Edward Bond, I think, and, and Sarah Kane, and, and yet it's creating this completely new theatrical language, which I think is just so its own. And I think he's just... A, a, an incredible kind of master of, of those words you know it's just such a kind of vortex that you're kind of drawn into and I think that when I approached it I really just went back to the play I mean like you know there's a load of references and images and films and poetry and novels and everything you can imagine everything you know there's all these references kind of within it mm -hmm. and actually I just felt like the way for me to access it was to go back and go through it with a fine tooth comb and just be really really detailed about what all of those references were actually in the mm. first instance but then thinking about character and thinking about 
you know, what these people kind of wanted and needed, you know, in this environment, which is incredibly kind of claustrophobic and and in which they're running out of time for various reasons that I won't go into. But I think that, you know, it's the same things really that you focus on when you work on any great piece of writing. You just try to find the music of it. Mm. I mean, the more that I work on plays generally, you know, here and elsewhere, I just find that I'm working almost with a score instead of a script, Mm. that I'm working with um, composers as much as I'm working with playwrights because actually there's such a kind of lyrical quality to this work and such a precision with language that Mm. it's really about trying to kind of find that and master it. Mm. And I was saying to these guys on the weekend and read this amazing interview which was quoting um, an encounter with Samuel Beckett where he said he was asked about um, the meaning of a line and he came back and he said, it's not about the meaning, it's about rhythm because language is rhythm. Mm. And I just thought that was so insightful and brilliant and it's absolutely the case with this play. And that's not to suggest that you shouldn't know the meaning of every line because we do, but actually it's about finding the music of it so you can convey that meaning to an audience. And for me, that's just really nuanced as a thought. And, and, and you know, I seem to just be drawn time and time again to these plays where people do horrible things to each other but actually it's in pursuit of something that is greater than themselves and it's in pursuit of something that ultimately is completely redemptive Mm. and life-affirming and I think that the ending to the play is so magnificent because it is at once you know incredibly I find heartbreaking but also incredibly redemptive and about Mm. the power of loving somebody and and the threat of having that love taken away I Mm -hmm. suppose Keen podcast listeners will remember that you were here at Guildhall last year to direct a production of Saved by by Edward Bond, yes. who you just mentioned there. In some ways, both both plays kind of challenged theatrical audiences and and the idea the idea of theatre and what it's what it's there for and what it's there to do. Um, how do you see the the two plays linked? Do you think there's been a particular change in the theatrical landscape in the forty odd years between them, or do you think? things are are still the same and we still need plays like these to to kind of challenge challenge yeah i absolutely think we need plays like this i think that they're both great works of art and i think that great works of art are invariably quite impolite i think and i think that you know both of these plays are so kind of magnificent i think just because they kind of grapple you in a headlock and wrestle you to the ground and rearrange your reality and that's what plays should do and it's what art should do and i think that particularly in the times that we're living in now feels like there's this kind of cyclical pattern of history between Bond and between Mercury Fur, actually, and that one is kind of hugely indebted to the other, but actually is making its own kind of theatrical language. And I think that lang- the language in Mercury Fur is so kind of precise and it's so, is so its own music, mm. but actually it's it's speaking to a time that's not unfamiliar from the time in which Bond was writing, mm. where actually society was just fracturing along these lines of kind of class and and race and um, various kind of forms of prejudice and inequality and I think that actually there's a kind of potency to that time being revisited but also this kind of fundamental understanding that things can't go on in the way that they have done Mm. and that that might be the key difference I think between them you know there's that amazing scene at the end of Saved which is you know almost 10 minutes of silence probably on stage and there's the question that's being offered of whether anything is actually going to change. And I think that that scene is both kind of like the end of this play, you know, is heartbreaking and redemptive in equal measure probably. But actually the question that Phil is asking at the end of Mercury Fur is, I think is a similar one in some ways, but actually 
because of the context in which the question's being asked, there's a there's an end that's coming. And I wonder whether the end, um, I, I'm still wondering what that means. And I think mm. that's just the process of rehearsal, yeah. that you kind of work through it and find the answers to some of those questions, but maybe not all of them. And that's the brilliance of the play is that mm. level of ambiguity, I think. So yeah, I'm sure that they're related. It feels like they're kind of fairly <laughs> close cousins. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think the reasons for doing them actually you know, we're largely about subverting people's expectations of the work because I think rightly or wrongly they've gained this reputation. Both players have gained a reputation over a number of years for being kind of violent and controversial, whatever that means. Um, and I wonder whether that level of controversy is actually symptomatic of a problem that society has with itself but mm, yeah. isn't actually prepared to face up to. And that's why we should keep doing those plays, maybe. And for uh, for you guys in the cast, this is your, your first of the kind of final year Guildhall productions mm -hmm. how, are you, how are you finding it so far how are you enjoying the, the whole process I'm absolutely loving this process I feel very privileged to be working on such an incredible play and with this team that we've got all together John the stage managers everyone it's just it's it just feels it's really exciting um, it's quite even though it's the um, a final year and obviously audiences will be coming in mm. and um, there's a different sort of a pressure with that there it still very much feels like there's no end I feel like mm. even though we'll be doing a show where people may clap or not etc <laughs> that isn't that isn't it finished and we will never stop exploring it and mm. I know three months after we've done our last show I'm going to be thinking oh maybe that's what she was meaning it, it will still exist within all of us, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's crazy. There's a like a duty with this play that it's like I can't. It has to transcend my first Guildhall public show. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Just, it's like a bigger duty than that. And so that's something that I have to keep poking myself, being like, <laughs> no, this is like bigger than the first play that your mum and dad are gonna see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's like a duty and a message, which is actually an honour to be bestowed upon us as like such young actors because this is a text that you learn with and from mm. mm -hmm. and so that's what I've just got to keep doing and <laughs> just keep working this mm. play working the text and uh, what's the rehearsal process been like for you all yeah it's been magic it's been pretty unique for instance one of the exercises that really helped myself I'm sure Joe and I both Naz and Darren take uh, butterflies so basically I won't go into too much detail but um, it's a certain drug and different types of butterflies are like different types of drugs mm -hmm. and you have different experiences on different ones obviously so we had how many days we, about a f well a few days like a, a week but a week yeah of entering into these different states and there was like a, a soundscape that went along with each of these sort of imaginary worlds mm. that are created when you take the butterfly. There was many, there was ecstasy, murder, nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. And these were all ones that, because throughout the play, they're all mentioned. And mm -hmm. we felt that it was important to really, really know your world. And I, mm. I suppose yeah. that relates to how, how you get into the how you get into the world mm -hmm. is that he get, he does give you license to create it as well as how specific he is. He does give you license to create it because he's he lists so many butterflies. Mm -hmm. um, so like green with 
pure green flag and yeah, red with silver stripes. And a certain one he names what the effect is, mm. like uh, assassination. And then, and then there's other ones where he doesn't name them. And we felt that we could uh, had have some to creative serve. license yeah. to uh, like say what they are. And John would uh, manufacture these incredible yeah. pieces of music <laughs> oh, <laughs> that man. we would essentially uh, just go crazy to. Or not. Yeah. Um. All that it would be, it was very much, you sort of started with your eyes closed and you're very much by yourself and you just listen with the with the knowledge of what the butterfly you've taken um, is. So say immortality is one, mm. there's one on my mind. So you close your eyes and you just, you just, whatever comes to you in that moment mm. to do with your body, with your voice, you just, you just go for it. And yeah. Yeah, it was it was very freeing. It was really it was interesting. really really interesting. And then we'd have a, a big discussion afterwards about what it was for each of us yeah. and the sort of spectrum of what everybody felt was also really incredible. Yeah, because it's so like every every single one. So like a drug that essentially induces the feeling of murder or like nostalgia, like how that resonates with you or anyone is so different mm. it's like so wide and broad yeah. and how you navigate that is just crazy mm. and and that's and that's something like we're probably still trying to navigate now like yeah. whether the the drugs that you take they induce like a set feeling or whether they do like chemically react with everyone differently yeah. that's really interesting and philip really actually came in to talk to us which is also a blessing and in many ways just so frightening <laughs> yeah. um, to have the writer in the room. And he hasn't witnessed our work yet, but he will do this coming Friday. Maybe different for whoever's listening now. But he spoke about the play. He asked, he asked, he answered our questions. And uh, the best thing about it was hearing him do his poetry and just how much he embodies it. And also there's like a real sense of uh, the fire in the ice of how he does his poetry so the like the really muscular quite disgusting and revolting language that he uses and the way in which he just skims over it and like floats it and it gives you a real sense of like how he wants you to do it but also like it, it because of the way he does that it almost jars with you more and that's something like that we have learned like mm -hmm. throughout our training here mm -hmm. as well but like that how he will skim over and and like be really like quite floaty in the way in which he describes like a a leg being cut off yeah and and you going well it it really jars with you because it it doesn't ring a chord with how you see like that action to be performed or how mm. or and it makes it jars and makes you think what, what? <laughs> yeah completely and, and then that makes you reevaluate it more and that that contradiction mm. is really important and it just it's just a real telltale sign of like what you need to do as an actor and like how switched on you need to be in order to do this man's text he talks about that quite a lot actually when he came into rehearsals they didn't he about the paradoxes between something that's essentially brutal whilst also being quite beautiful mm. yeah and i think that's really important as a kind of theme in his work but also a theme that extends all mm. the way back to you know, Cain and then yeah. back to Bond and then back to Shakespeare, you know, if you look at and then back to the Greeks. Um, but it feels like something that 
you know, is an essential paradox, but actually kind of ripples through all of his work and the, yeah. the way he would, yeah, the way he would give, the, you know, top spin to a line that actually was mm. really violent, with but with a kind of finesse, yeah. just made us think about how we might deliver those words, I suppose, in the play. Yeah, mm. definitely. There's that really nice quote on the big. There's the three quotes on the front. Yeah. yeah. There's the what the brutality is the only antidote for sorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just embodies exactly what Mercury Fur is about. I think. Yeah. Completely. Even that thing that he said about, he said it to me ages ago about um, Elliot. You know, one of the first things he said was that Elliot is like a beating heart in an ice box. And I just thought that was such a great note. And it's such a great microcosm <laughs> of what the play is doing. Mm-hmm. That actually, all of these characters are, you know, incredibly full of life, but actually, life outside of these walls has kind of stifled them to such mm-hmm. an extent that they can only truly be themselves in this space, I think. Mm. Philip Bradley coming in was just. A, a wonderful experience. There's just, as as you said, the the beauty and the ugliness is something that just stuck with me. Um, I will never forget him. And <laughs> there is one um, poem that he did where none of the words were like it was. It was almost like a soundscape, and the way he said it, the sort of the relish of how he treated each word that he spoke with is something that I would like to take into every single every single word that I say. Mm-hmm. I think to treat it with you no, know, the feeling, the absolute, the world that one singular word can have is something very important, and I will endeavour to take that into this play. Um, the rhythm. As we've said before, the rhythm is just, it just makes some things fire work off and some things bubble. It was quite a spectacular experience and something that I hope and I I think I've, I've seen it in others. But yeah, I, I feel like we've, that's added another layer on top mm. of what we're doing yeah. as well. Just really put into perspective, like meeting him, how we spoke about it a bit already, but how when you see the play or when you read the play, that it isn't about subject matter. It's easy to be centred on the violence, but it's about the people within it. And he, I, I just really, I just really wish and hope that, I, I, I wish that everyone could meet this man before seeing this play because he just, he is just the epitome of like a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what people need to take into this play is that they're, they're not they're not going to watch a play about a horrific event they're going to watch a play about human beings Mm. yeah and there's something that he said he was like he very much emphasised the point that he's not just writing violence for violence sake he's not just doing it to shock an audience the fact that it is like some things are horrific to watch it's because it is horrific because it is horrific Mm. and it's not making a joke or taking lightly the fact that any small hurtful thing can happen to a person it's it's just examining with like a massive torch human beings human Mm. natures what we need and what we want and and again love as we've said Mm. and violence is the brutality happens just has has to occur in this situation and as we're a, a cup, about a couple of weeks away from from opening night, as we record, what are you all most looking forward to about that about that first night and and the run? Seeing seeing an audience's response to it probably because mm. it feels like the play gives you so much in the rehearsal room, and it really does. You know, it really speaks for itself in the rehearsal room. But actually, it needs that that mutual interaction mm-hmm. that you mm. have when you have an audience in, and you need to have a response to it because ultimately, it's not. It doesn't perform as a work of art until you place it in front of people. Mm. Mm. And then I think that 
the reaction to it will be very interesting and I hope it will be I just hope it will be really honest I mean that's all you know that's all you can really hope for whether mm. people are kind of shocked or profoundly moved or joyful or tearful or whatever I think all of that is really valid and actually uh, the one thing I've said to people over the last couple of weeks inside and outside of the rehearsal room is that you just want people to feel something from it Mm -hmm. you know you want people to leave having had an experience that maybe they can't go back from Mm. and can't unsee and that that's the most really as a director you can hope for any piece of work I suppose and I feel like the work we've done on it's been really rigorous and I've been able to explore things with these guys just because they've been so kind of honest and so open and emotionally available in the room that actually you don't always get to experience in rehearsals. You know, we've done some exercises that have put them through the ringer emotionally and I think that it will only serve to mean that the play is is ultimately quite a truthful piece of work, mm-hmm. um, I would hope. You know, that, and that's really all you can do. I think you've just got to try and do justice to an incredible piece of poetry and one that is full of really imperfect beautifully drawn human beings because that's all the play is really Mm. well massive thank you to john mirren and joseph for joining us for this podcast today Uh, mercury fair runs from the 15th to the 20th of october in the milton court studio theater and there's still a handful of tickets available so act fast if you want to get them you can get them from the barbican box office and from gsmd.ac.uk slash events um, and follow us at Guildhall School on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you like your social media things to, to find out more about what's going on at the school. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining us again, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks.